Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Scouspo, presented by Guinness, distributed by Diageo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got a lot to get to tonight. Um, bowls are rapidly uh, coming. Uh, the first one, first two are on Friday night. Uh, so we've got our bowl preview, at least the, the first part of our bowl preview, uh, coming up a little bit later in the yeah, show. Well, yeah, let's get signing day out of the way so we can talk Bahamas Bowl. Let's <laughs> um, you know, we're going to talk oh, signing I, day. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about the fact that my... my uh, my crazy sponsorship applies to both NIL and signing day and bulls. <laughs> um, before we jump into to a really, really fascinating signing day, I uh, do want to uh, mention once again, the Westlaw Pirates Bowl Challenge. Uh, links to that are up at westlawpirates.com or also on our Twitter feed. Um, you know, We'd love to get you all jumping in, having have a little fun with us. It's a confidence pool. Uh, so you know, the, I believe it, it'll close on Friday. When the Bahamas Bowl does kick off, so uh, if you're listening to this before then, jump in, have, we'll have some fun. Um, signing day was fun. Yeah the the I'd say the road into signing day was bumpy to say the least, but sure, I would say sure. ju- I'd say though just about every Northwestern fan is feeling pretty great coming out of signing day. Um, yeah, I, I, that, that's that's such a perfect way to frame it because like I. I feel pretty chill now, but like four days ago, not feeling chill. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, the decommitment of Dennis Jacquez, um, you know, the, the, the news that Meredith, I mean, we'd already, you know, been down the, you know, Meredith is going, uh, de- his decommit. Um, but then, well, and it just, it just felt like, and I think, like we talked about this on the last podcast, like people don't freak out and yeah. I'm not saying I was freaking out, but like the, the, you know, the little arrow, <laughs> the little arrow in my head next to Northwestern was pointed downward, I, you know, questions about the coaching staff, no real changes. Um, and you're just, you're just wondering, but this today signing day represented a, a set of definitive objective, um, data points right on the trajectory of this program. And that trajectory is still, uh, I think at the very least slightly positive based on, on who we got today and how this played out. Yeah. It's real interesting. Um, you know, kind of seeing, you know, obviously Northwestern will always not rank as high as, you know, anyone else in terms of like the star ratings and the national ratings, we had a 15 person signing class, you know, that that's really small. Um, but the guys we got, I, I think we could, it's not unfair to say we're real excited. Well, I, I think, I think if, and when, um, if Miguel Mitchell does eventually sign with Northwestern, he says he still plans to, he's going to hold off till February. He's kind of like the one we didn't get today. Um, but he's still committed. I think if, I mean, if we end up signing him, this, this class is going to be up there with some of the best that Fitz has, has ever signed, right? Even from a ratings perspective. Yeah, it is. And I think that's what was kind of lost with the the decommits. And, and Sam, you listed them. And, you know, into that we could throw Octavian Smith, who decommitted a while ago, right? He signed with Maryland today. I think there was, you know, 
that 5% chance we were all kind of eyeing, being like, he put us in his final five, maybe, but I think we all kind of knew that most likely he was doing it to stay home, which is what he ended up doing. He's from Maryland. Um, but it really was, there were those, there were bummer things, and I think, you know, Scuzz, you talked about this whole, where were we all mentally four days ago kind of thing, and I think there was that real kind of, real malaise when there was that period in time where Meredith had decommitted. We had offered Jack Lausch. It was known that Lausch did not have another scholarship offer anywhere other than Indiana State and that he was going to be a preferred walk-on at Notre Dame. And I think the fact that he just didn't immediately grab the Northwestern offer, um, I think at the time, again, makes perfect sense. He was like, you know, it's the biggest, one of the biggest decisions of his life. He's got an official visit scheduled for the 10th. He was like, I'm going to wait and take my official visit and then we'll see how it goes and then I'll make my decision, right? Um, which made perfect sense. But of course, it leads to this moment being like, oh my gosh, we had a quarterback. We already got really late in the cycle, decommit. Now we're giving another offer to another kid even later in the cycle and he doesn't have another FBS scholarship offer and yet he's not accepting it right off the bat. And... Then, like you said, you have um, uh, Dennis Jacquez decommits and the and that kind of adds to it. And it was like, oh, he was a pretty big recruit for us, et cetera. Um, and and Tra- Trayvon Howard, too. Right. And Trayvon Howard, too, which so it it all was kind of just a lot of negatives coming off of a season where there were nothing but negatives. But then there were started to be a couple a couple things that kind of happened in a row. Right. Um, first. We got Wendell Davis as a grad transfer. And again, we've talked forever. We talked ad nauseum about it last year that the portal taketh away, but the portal also giveth, right? And that, yeah, we had a ton of guys enter the portal, but you are going to get guys from the portal too. It's just this year, again, it's like we begrudge none of you or any Northwestern fan from just feeling like the sky is caving in when you had the guys go into the portal and these decommits on top of everything else. It's like, we're all human and we all just endured the season that we just endured. But still, Davis is a battle-tested linebacker with speed who plays a position of need for Northwestern where we're going to need these guys. And again, it's like, I'm not going to go down the whole road of like, well, I guess we'll see who Fitz decides to play for the entire season. Not not going to go down that road. The point let, is, let, like, let, just let's ob- save that for, like, next August. Yeah, right. <laughs> just objectively, looks faster than anything we saw on tape in 2021. Right, exactly. He's He's got speed, and he's got pro- production on, you know, on tape and at Pitt, so at the ACC level. So so that was a, that was a win. And then I'd say the next step was Lausch, uh, you know, committed. And was like, I'm, I'm in. And when that happened, I think we all kind of started to look at the tape and everything. And kind of what you see is this guy is, he, you can understand, be like, look, he's 6'2". He doesn't have a, you know, that strong of an arm. Um, but he's a massive leader. He's got massive stones. He's really fast. Loves to run. And carried his team. And that's, you know, Brother Rice. And that's part of the reason why he's the Sun-Times Player of the Year. And I think we also talked on Twitter that you can fold into it, right? The fact that part of the reason he didn't immediately take the Northwestern job is his attitude was, I'm going to go to Notre Dame and then I'm going to win the starting job as a walk-on. And it's like, 
that's a pretty sweet attitude to have. And this guy is basically like, look, I play big time Catholic League football. I led my team. I'm sometimes player of the year. I'm showing up at Northwestern as a scholarship quarterback to be the starting quarterback. And again, I don't want to get stars in our eyes here, but you smell a little Dan Persa when you hear things like that. You're like, similar size. We spent, you know, Persa's first couple of years being like, boy, the arm looks a little bit, you know, I'm not seeing the arm that some of the other guys have. And then, of course, you know, he comes out and he's just painting the numbers. So, and and hey, the the last the last Catholic League quarterback we had is now what quarterbacks coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, Mike Kafka. Right. So I mean, there's there's that pipeline too. But it's just to say, like, all of us were looking, and you're like, oh yeah, he's not particularly tall, and he's not a cannon armed guy. But you look at the tape, and you know, again, part of it's because. So much, we're also scarred from watching read option go so horribly wrong so many times this season. But you're like, <laughs> this guy will read the hell out of an option play. This guy wants to do, he's super fast. Like, Jack Lausch is thinking, if, I, if I'm running the option and the defensive end goes down on the back, maybe the guy at the next level doesn't catch me. So, like, that's exciting. And I'm not saying, again, this is not like a be-all, send-all. But, I mean... Reality check, for someone you sign on December 13th, two days before signing day, pretty good, right? So this is all a way of saying we got a couple wins. We needed a couple wins. And then massive win to start off signing day. Yeah, I, I woke up and, you know, just checked Twitter and saw that, wait, we got to commit? Like, it's it's signing day. We flipped a guy from Colorado. I mean, I know what it's like. Personally, I know what it's like to, you know, think you're in Colorado and then come here. Boulder is a tough place to walk away from, but Kenny Soares, um, you know, three-star, I uh, think we're going to be looking at him on the D-line, but uh, he'd been committed to Colorado since, you know, the summer. And then Tuesday night, you know, flips to Northwestern. And, uh, you know, we make that announcement the morning of signing day. And, you know, he signs his papers and uh, he's, he's coming to Evanston. He's um, listed as an athlete on Rivals. Yes, planning to play defensive end. That's what we've heard. Um, six foot three, two twenty. I mean, this is this is an opportunistic edge rusher, right? Uh, yeah, I, the kind of guy where, like, I wish we had more of these guys. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is this is a position of need. This is exactly what we've been talking about for a year and a half with regard to the evolution of Northwestern's defense that we, that we expect to happen. And um, it's a great, it's a great pickup and something that just typically doesn't happen on signing day for Northwestern. It is usually a low drama affair, both, both for the, like on both sides of the ledger, right? Like typically the guys we're expecting to sign, we sign. And typically the guys that we're not expecting to sign, you know, nobody shows up on the doorstep that, that wasn't, you know, anticipated. And, um, this is a nice little surprise. I think by rivals rating, he's like our fifth best uh, rated recruit coming into the cycle. Uh, like Sam said, three-star player, but at a position of need. And it's just, it's it's a nice pickup and it's a win. Like we needed some wins. Exactly. It's, you know, it's funny. It's really weird. So like you said, it's so weird. Like by rivals rating. Yeah. He's one of our five, our top five recruits rivals he's rivals number 24 player you know at the athlete position the number 22 so the top 22 players on that list are four-star recruits so he's 
the 24th, where the top 22 are four stars, the last guy in the athlete position Rivals has as a four star is Octavian Smith, which is hilarious because Octavian Smith, I don't think, was rated when Northwestern signed him. And then his profile started to go up and he decommitted and eventually became a four-star recruit and now is in Maryland. But again, it just goes to show, right? He's a four-star. He's 22nd. Soars is two spots below. So for a player you're getting on signing day, like, I mean, I, I get that a lot of blue blood programs have this kind of thing happen, but we don't, we're not often flipping high three-star guys at Northwestern on signing day. Um, I think one of the, one of the things, you know, one of the, the scuttlebutt, I think possibly with um, Jacquez was that there was and some sort of academic situation where it was whether, it, you know, grades or scores or something, but there was something where it just like, I think it, it came down to, it sounded like he may have just not, he was not going to get in or something. And I bring that up only because whether it was a situation or something like that, it could have been a situation as opposed to say a, a recruit who just decides out of the blue to decommit um, that Northwestern potentially maybe had a little bit of runway on or, or could see a possibility of this coming down the road and then was able to, you know, have, have discussions going with sores or something like that where um, sores is not, you know, where we're not literally contacting him out of the blue on signing day that potentially there was a little bit of a relationship there. Um, and again, that's speculation, but I mean, there had to have been something to flip a high three-star recruit on signing day, but regardless, I'm I'm glad it happened. And speaking of relationships, um, you know, in, in his press conference today, Fitz said that he he'd been talking or they'd been talking to Lausch for a while, like so. You know, it, it wasn't just oh Meredith is gone. Uh, who do we go? Who do, like apparently they've been you know talking to to Lausch. It's been you know they kept it off the radar. Um, so maybe there had been inklings that. Meredith might be looking elsewhere even before he looked elsewhere. Who knows? I mean, this is pure speculation on my part. Well, and I mean, Loyola Academy played Brother Rice on September 17th. So presumably, like, Laosha was on Fitz's radar in more ways than one, right? Right, yeah. His son was a, was a, what, a junior this year? Um, at Loyola, and um, obviously that's Catholic leagues. So, like there were there were there were connections and perceptions and 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 whatnot there for for a while now. But um, I think like some of the ex- the other really exciting guys in this class. I mean, guys we've talked about in the past, but uh, Reggie Florima, right? Um, Big time four star receiver. We haven't actually landed a four star receiver in a long long time. We've had we've come really close that have we've had guys decommit, etc. Um, Anto Saka, uh, another critical position at linebacker, a guy that we were so excited when we signed him, or, or when he committed way back when. Um, somebody that that I know Louis Vacare thinks is criminally underrated in in other um, in other recruiting services. Um, and then you know Nick Herzog, a guy we've talked about on the offensive line and just at an absolute you know physical dynamo. Uh, Braden Bruss, another a player at linebacker who again like the physicality that you see from some of these guys on tape. Like this is a really exciting class. And uh, just to just add on to, to Florima, um, the role he had in yes. helping t- 
to land other Illinois guys. Mm-hmm. First uh, guy, first guy to sign in the class, right? Yeah, for, first guy to sign in the class. He was on campus with Lausch. Uh, you know, he came to help pitch Lausch. He's not. He's a high school senior, and he's coming to Northwestern and say, "Hey, come play with us. Let's go." I mean, McGuire that, that and Petrucci as well, right? Yeah, like weren't weren't all the Illinois guys like like in all on the that? Illinois guys? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, is awesome, and and it's it's so funny now to. It, it almost is a little bit of, like, comfort food to revisit this class, especially with the addition of, um, you know, a big-time a big time guy source on signing day to take the sting out of some of those decommits. But it's, it's comfort food to revisit this class because this is such a stacked class that, you know, so much of this was built, again, off the not – that, not that you need that. I mean, you can look at the class the year before, and we had, had really low expectations following that season, and that ended up being a great class. But I mean, this was a rock star class that began to be inked right after the Citrus Bowl, and it's right there. It's stacked. The it's athleticism, right? I mean, just the speed of guys like Bruss and Herzog, and you know, you know, Scuzz was saying we've talked about it before. But then, like a Redwood, like Firestone, who is you know projected as a defensive tackle, but is going to be an absolutely massive human being at defensive tackle. And then, I mean, Saka's probably my single favorite guy in the class just because he's just a, I mean, I, he's just a, a force of destruction. <laughs> like, I can't, he is just a, a, a destroyer of worlds. He's, we, we joke that he's, his comp is Thanos. And that's just, <laughs> he, he's, he's that kind of guy. I mean, he's just a destroyer of worlds out there. You watch him and you're just like, he is not the fastest linebacker and you go oh well, then why is he rated so high oh my god he just ate another guy and it's just <laughs> like he's he's just devastating so it's to to revisit all these guys and be like yeah there's there's so much here um and then a guy like um i mean scuzzy we were talking about him before the pod joseph hyman who like you watch him on tape and you watch like Ooh. what what he did his senior year right i think he won a state championship yeah um, and he's an absolute dynamo running the ball. I mean, just an absolute speed demon. Like, yeah, oh my an, god, an absolute I, speed demon. Who yes, didn't I, he set? Didn't he set records for like high, like Arkansas high school? I yeah, think so. Yeah, Cyber like, Northwestern like, and then rushed for a million billion yards and won a state title. Yeah, I, I'll tell you the most exciting thing to me, and and this is like pure conjecture, and I'm probably projecting in a thousand different ways, but um. One of the one one of the coolest things about today, I thought, was the way that uh, Northwestern yes. introduced yes. these players, right? And so they had current players, often in the same either the same position group or coming from the same part of the country or the same alma mater, um, like sitting down and introducing the new signee. So you had like Peter Skaronsky introducing Chris Petrucci, right? Like both played at the same high school. Um, you had Holinsky introducing Lausch. You had, and then you had Cam Porter talking about Hyman, and I swear to God, but like Cam Porter sits down and basically says like, our stable is stacked. I think that's what he said. Um, but I like, I can feel the excitement coming off of Cam Porter of like how effing good Joseph Hyman is. And that just like fires me up. Right. It's something I like it circles back, right? It's really this positivity. And again, we've talked about all these guys plenty of times, but I mean, it's like, a guy like Deuce McGuire, who's a really highly rated recruit in the state of Illinois, right? And you're looking at pairing him with Herzog and be like, this looks like just 
an awesome offensive line. You know, that th- these two guys coming in as these recruits. And you just remember, it's like memory lane. We talked about so many of these guys, and it was almost all done in that honeymoon between the Citrus Bowl and the start of the 2021 season. And um, I'd say none of the optimism we have for all these different guys has changed. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And I think the other part of it, too, is to, I kind of feel like maybe a little bit more than in years past, we've followed some of these guys at the high school level. I think part of that is... There were a couple of guys, so first of all, a lot of Illinois guys playing at a really high level. But then also, for whatever reason, and this includes the commit and then decommit of Bennett Meredith, but um, several Alabama guys. You've got Braden Turner, Evan Smith, right? And they're playing big-time Southern football at a high level, and you find you kind of find yourself tracking that, right? And a lot of it was happening happening in the Birmingham area, and... Um, you know, and that's, you know, where Evan Smith was involved. And it's just, you kind of get pulled into this. And and um, and Evan Smith was a guy who was really highly regarded in that area as an undersized quarterback. So you get pulled into these things and you're being like, yeah, this is a Northwestern recruit is really part of this big time pageantry of high school football in an area where high school football is really important. So, you know, and that was something that, again, helped get us through this this kind of rough season. So, yeah. It's just, it's positivity. These are really good players. I mean, Rivals has this as the number 49 ranked recruiting class in the country, but that's with just 15 players in the class. So it's it's a really good class. They picked up a really big addition on signing day, and, and it's something to be legitimately excited about. And, you know, there, there's still this Miguel Mitchell uh, scenario. Um, he said he's going to wait until February to sign. Um, I have no idea like he he canceled his commitment announcement um on saturday he took home mvp honors in the alabama mississippi all-star game uh so if he if he stays with us and and signs in february that's another great add to uh to the class no idea why why he's waiting um totally his prerogative you know he that's more time that other schools can be pitching to him so who knows? But he says he's still committed to Northwestern, and you know until that changes, you know I I'm hoping that uh, we'll see his signature in February. Here, here, yeah. And again, it's like it's there. There have just been just a, a lot of L's. We've just taken a lot of L's this season, and then kind of coming out of this season, etc. And this is nothing but a big win. These are all really good football players um, who, and and really not only good, but just a lot of really exciting football players too um, with just ridiculous levels of athleticism and talent and, you know, guys who are going to win a lot of games in Northwestern. And that's the thing. It's like you kind of have to see the forest through the trees and be like, look, coming off a really bad season but this is a stacked class and there are a lot of talented guys here who are going to show out in a big way um definitely some fireworks around the country on signing day um at probably the biggest was uh the the kid who decommitted from florida state to sign with uh jackson state um kind of a, a massive move there and you know twitter kind of went ballistic and you know the, the florida state fans Really showed how well adjusted they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, that in stride, 
Yeah, they they sure, didn't start yeah, any petitions to did they even unretire notice? Deion Sanders' yeah. <laughs> number. Yeah, it, it's just, come on, people. Like, let's all take a breath, relax. This is college football, right? These are 18-year-old kids making decisions that is going to affect them the rest of their lives, right? And everyone has their own reasons for doing what they do. So we're fans. We we cheer for our teams. We cheer for our laundry. Let these kids make the best decisions for them. Come on. I think the other piece of it, too, in that particular case is, <clears throat> I think, I mean, credit to Dion for, I mean, he does his own way, but um, for building that Jackson State brand. But I think we'd all be fools to say that if you look at the past 20, 30, 40 years, right, that there are not a, a lot of college football players who would have felt most comfortable at a historically black college or university who did not sign with their, with those universities because they felt pressure or, you know, if not a stigma attached to the FCS in general, pressure to sign with an FBS football school or one of the blue blood programs, et cetera. Um, when in terms of everything else that goes into being a college student besides playing on a football field, right? An HBCU may have been the better fit for them. And you want kids to be making the best choice for them, right? Um, for them as students, for them as people, et cetera. And I think, you know, if it, you hope, I mean, again, and it's like, we don't know the other factors. We don't know the Dion secret sauce going here, right? But Or, or um, what NILs have been promised. Exactly, that, right. That, or like that's what, a whole other ballgame. Right. Hey, hey let, let's be honest. NILs have been getting promised for many, many, many a year. That's they true. They go by a thanks, different name thanks, now than thanks, they used Jim. to. <laughs> thanks, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I mean, so, right. So, I mean, it's like if... If he, you're right, but if like you, you mix that all together, and he's like, "Look, Dion's gonna train me to be an NFL football player, and I can still get my NIL money, however, you know, this way, and this is the best fit for me as a student." Then perfect, go go to an HBCU. And frankly, it's you know, honestly, if it, there was a world where HBCUs in general, you know, rose up as football teams, um, and you know became a higher you know caliber where they could even compete with some of the bigger programs etc we all win in that situation so um yeah there's no any you know sorry sorry for anyone in tallahassee i mean i think everyone else looks at this as a positive or at i least, mean this yeah. this this feels like not the biggest problem in tallahassee frankly no, <laughs> not even remotely um you know we're we're gonna get to our bowls in just a sec uh Men's and women's basketball, with each with with some wins over the past week or so, um, kind of the uh, the quarter break is happening right now. So it, it you know nothing super exciting, nothing to really write home about. Um, the men have a really what now turns out to be a really interesting uh, matchup against DePaul coming up um, this week. So and really, uh, really interesting matchup because. DePaul was horrible last season, but I think they're like eight and one now or something like that. And again, like there's not unlike Northwestern schedule, there's some real creamy frosting attached to this, but this is a team that went to Louisville and won this season, right? And they beat a, a Rutgers team that granted, but you know, in miraculous fashion, but Rutgers knocked off, who was it? Purdue, right? Um, so 
the you know DePaul's for real so it's it's a major opportunity I think there's a little of you know all of us in our brains had hey that Maryland win and now we get to kind of rest on our laurels for a month until the rest of the Big Ten season but this is a big game and a major opportunity um, for the Cats to to really you know continue to prove that this is going to be a different year and uh, the women had all that they could handle from uh, UW Milwaukee uh, Veronica Burton had a horrific game from the floor, at, at least until the very, very end of the game. But uh, Kaylee Walsh stepped up 17 points, five boards, and, uh, you know, really kind of took the team on her back, which is, is really cool to see. But, uh, you know, with if Burton's having an off game, they're going to, like, Walsh is going to need to figure out how to take the team on her back and stay out of foul trouble because, that's kind of been her her bugaboo uh, so far. Yeah, I mean she's getting more and more consistent as the as the secondary go to scorer. She absolutely brings a commanding physical presence on the offensive end. Um, I think, as you would expect with a true freshman, you know her her defensive chops at the college level are just going to take a little bit of time to to gel. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how she matches up with other centers in the Big Ten or other you know high powered forwards in the Big Ten once we get to conference season. But um, yeah, I mean, this is like for this team to go forward, it's critical for someone, uh, especially in the front court to, to develop, um, to, to play opposite of, uh, of Burton and, you know, Courtney Shaw, Sydney Wood, like Paige Mott, all Anna Morris, all, all phenomenal players don't have the physical presence that, um, that Walsh has. Uh, and I think like, it's gonna be really interesting to see, like, could you could you play Mott and Walsh together, right? Um, and create a, create a little bit of a twin tower situation. Does does you know Morris and Walsh can both shoot from outside? Like, does that give you some really interesting floor spacing? Like, I think like there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting pieces on this team to kind of see how they play out. But it's becoming pretty clear that Walsh is going to be number two on the score sheet most nights after Burton. Right, and I think you know, Scuzz, you 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 had kind of talked about this a little bit about talked with us a little bit about this and we were kind of thinking about it and then watching the Milwaukee game. And it's interesting because you're absolutely right. Like Walsh is going to be out there. She's clearly like that number two scoring option right now. But if you look at kind of the, the low post for Northwestern, right, that um, you've got Courtney Shaw out there, but Walsh is uh, logging a lot of minutes and she's a young player and there are, you know, several young players out there, but um, the Milwaukee game was an example of a point where, you know, Milwaukee had a forward who really kind of ran amok. And I think right now, to the extent that there is a weak point in the blizzard, right, it's that if if a team, and, you know, this is going to matter in the Big Ten, has a really dominant low post player, that that player may be a source of buckets because, you know, it's like, the blizzard remains the blizzard in like Milwaukee. My God, they shot two for 20 from three in that game. And, um, the, you know, in terms of perimeter defense, there's no one who does it better than Northwestern. So I think, right, it, it's continuing to develop like a, a number three option, a number four option offensively, and also shoring up that kind of low post defense. And those are things that are going to come with time, but um, well, well that's that's where Sydney Wood becomes so critical, right? And we we did get some intel after last week's pod uh, that you know she had a back injury during the during the DePaul game, she was working her way back from that. Um, but like you think about the role she's played the last couple of years, how good she has been, 
denying you know entry into the post like for the for the opposing team and picking off passes etc like she has some length she plays with some length um is you know second only to Burton in steals and that goes beyond just the perimeter so I like that that's a place where you could you can you can see some of that defense getting bolstered with uh with what I would argue is our number two defensive player coming back but um you know we don't know what that timetable is and and you know in in the, in the interim the, the rest of the team's just gonna have to step up yeah, so we'll uh, definitely keep our eye on that. Um, let's turn our attention to bowl season. Um, you know, and, and something that I, I, you know, before we kind of get into each game, um, you know, something I've, I've been thinking about, like this year and I, the past few years, it's been just more and more difficult to to predict these games. You know, what with you know the coaching carousel how many of these teams are being coached by interim coaches um how many of the coach like the new coaches are on campus but not coaching yet or or what you know the, just, por- the portal is having a massive absolutely effect. absolutely like every team is losing guys to the portal every team is losing guys to opting out uh to get ready for the draft i mean um, L- lsu's going into a bowl game without a quarterback basically <laughs> like yeah it, it's it's just it's wild and like I I saw somewhere I I can't remember exactly where it was but uh, someone make a suggestion that you know the bowl games I mean the bowl games are exhibitions we should treat them as such uh, playing in a bowl game should not count as a game towards your eligibility or not like you know LSU is in a situation where if they play their freshman quarterback he loses his year he loses a year of eligibility because he'll have played too many games. And, like, that shouldn't be the case. They've had two quarterbacks transfer out or opt out. And, you know, they're going to be starting, like, a walk-on or something in their game. So, you know, it to sit here and, like, preview and, and, and make any, like, real predictions, it's just madness. So, you know, I, the way I'm kind of looking at bowl season this year is, like, this is college football. This is what we love. And everyone's got their own reasons for being in bowl games. Like, Will a team want it? You know, are they playing for an outgoing coach, or are they just you know happy to be there? Um, you know, everyone's got different motivations. One thing that I can almost guarantee you is, post this bowl season, the NCAA is going to pass legislation where playing in a bowl game doesn't count against that redshirt limit. It's got it. It's Games, got it. They've they're they're going to do that, and it's like why penalize guys who stayed or like. Does like does literally anyone in college football not want a guy to play in a bowl game because he's exhausted his four games to make to maintain redshirt status? Is there anyone who's against letting that guy play in a bowl game? Like, come on, just well, what what one of the primary benefits of making a bowl is the extra what twelve bowl 15, practices you get or whatever fifteen, fifteen, yeah, and like okay, you've got a bunch of guys graduating, you got you got a bunch of young players, like, th- like this is the opportunity to break them in and, and start incorporating them into your, your, your schemes, your rotations, et cetera, and then setting up, you know, those, those, um, those battles in the spring for who's going to, you know, uh, go and go into the next year as the presumed starters. Like, like it just, it just makes sense. Like making those kids wait even longer, especially during the time of the year where it like, they're not bogged down in classes and finals and all sorts of other stuff. Like this is this is the this is a great time of the year to be engaging those players, and the fact that it's disincentivized right now is stupid. Well, and like as as fans of a team that's not playing in a bowl game this year, it's like 
if Minnesota wants to play some guy who's a freshman who's used his four games and, you know, would lose, I don't care. Let him play in the game. Who cares? Like, don't try to sell me on some amazing competitive advantage over us Minnesota's going to gain by doing that, right? I don't care. Like, let the guy play the game, right? So, yeah. I, I, I would imagine that that rule is not long for this world. Uh, we, we can only hope. So, as we're kind of going through these games, there's so much going on with all of these teams that we just don't have the – like, I can say I don't have the bandwidth to know I, that yeah. – like, I don't have the normal wealth of knowledge I would have about Western Kentucky versus Appalachian State. (laughs) Normally, I could just write you a thesis, but not this year. Yeah, just a half dissertation then? Yeah, you know, you'll just just a, you know, you maybe get a a master's out of me or something. There you go. There you go. Not a PhD. (laughs) All right. So we start off on Friday uh, with the Bahamas Bowl. Uh, Middle Tennessee and Toledo um, going into this game in in the Bahamas. Toledo right now a ten point favorite uh, going into this. Thoughts? I... <laughs> <laughs> about, well, I mean, about like, the Bahamas. I... So here, like, part of the reason for that is that uh, Toledo has some. Um, some some pretty dynamic defensive players that have been recognized as you know all max selections, but then the bigger thing is that Middle Tennessee is down to like their third and fourth string quarterbacks because of injuries, et cetera. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm always interested in this one mainly because if I recall, they play it at that field that has almost no stands. Um, I just remember seeing this bowl game randomly on in the past and being like. Are there stands at this game? But, you know, whatever, it's in Nassau, so hopefully let them uh, let them play and then go over to Atlantis. And, you know, the important thing is they all get to ride that water slide as many many times as possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, Friday at 11 o'clock. So, you know, if you're starting your holiday vacation a day early, nice little something on in the background uh, on on Friday morning. Uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN2, the Tail Greeter Cure Bowl in Orlando, Northern Illinois, and Coastal Carolina. The, uh, the, the what? There's there's always this The tradition. Tail Greeter Cure Bowl. What, I, is, what? I don't know. Don't you feel like there's always this tradition of there's a random bowl really early on that gives us a really good matchup? Um because this is this is a great matchup. Like these are two. I mean, again, I guess I don't know. Like, where did Coastal end up this year? I mean, they they didn't have the same kind of Cinderella run that they had uh, last year, but they're still. I mean, I'm, ten and two. Yeah. So I mean, and they're, they're and they're and they're a ten point favorite in this game. Right. So they're still ten and two over Rocky Lombardi and your MAC champion Northern Illinois Huskies, um, which is. It's it's pretty hilarious. All the the Michigan State threads, right? Like, wait, Michigan State manages to get a transfer in from Wake Forest at running back, who ends up finishing. What did he finish? Fifth or sixth in the Heisman balloting? Sixth, I think, in Kenneth Walker, and then their quarterback who transfers out, Rocky Lombardi, who again his performance against Northwestern, notwithstanding, was not a good quarterback at Michigan State, goes to Northern Illinois and wins the MAC. So. Um, yeah, this is for the second bowl game of the year. This is a good matchup. These are two very good teams. 
Um, well, I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna say the quarterback that matters in this game is Grayson McCall, and if absolutely. he plays, it puts it puts Coastal Carolina like firmly in the driver's seat to win this game. But if he doesn't, it's you know anyone's guess. Uh, just just as as a point of information, Tailgreeter appears to be like Airbnb for tailgates. So like, you can sign up and get tapped into like if you're road tripping and you want to tailgate. Apparently, this organization um, will hook you up with tailgates that are happening. So, interesting, like that you can go to, or like a parking yeah. spot. No, that that you can go to. Oh, that's I. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, tailgater. There you go. Um, like, should we be like contacting them? Is like probably we yeah. Sort of I, I, I think we probably Pre- should. Presumably, I mean, let's get the Westlab Pirates on that list. Yeah, there you go. Uh, going to Saturday, December 18th, you got the roofplane.com Boca Raton Bowl uh, at FAU Stadium in Boca. Uh, Western Kentucky and Appalachian State. Uh, App State is a currently a three-point favorite. Um, you know, basically all I know about Western Kentucky is uh, Bailey Zappi. Uh, 5,500 yards, 56 touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, App is... It's another one of these teams, right, where App is a really, really good football team. They managed to lose twice to Louisiana, not Louisiana State, Louisiana. Um, they lost to what at the time was a ranked Miami team by two points, um, but they beat Coastal. Um, and again, they're the the Sun Belt of today is not the Sun Belt we grew up with. The Sun Belt today has like several teams that will just kick the crap out of anybody on a random week. So I kind of feel like... Belt. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm going with App in this one. The the, uh, the 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 trick here too on the on the Western Kentucky side is one of their top receivers, Mitchell Tinsley, is um is in the transfer portal and is probably going to miss the game. Um, they've got an all conference offensive tackle who's doing the same. Oh, I'm sorry, no, both of them both of them said they're going to play in the bowl. So um, that's it. Like, two, but but. Two of their like important pieces on offense have effectively said like they're leaving Western Kentucky. They're playing the bowl. That's going to be an interesting thing. And then, um, I, you know, they got a couple defensive players in a, in a similar st- situation. So like I, I don't know what that means. This is one of those things that like you could play this as an indicator either way, right? Like the fact that they're leaving is going to breed discontent in the locker room, or the fact that they're leaving but they're going to play the game. Like everybody's fired up for you know like. T- take it what you will, but th- th- this is the early game, John, to me, that feels like it's going to be fun and close and exciting and back and forth. I mean, I just want to see Bailey Zappi play. I mean, he, I think he led college football in passing numbers. Like, I, no, I haven't he, seen he him could, take He could snap. break Joe Burrow's uh, single-season TD record. Could he really? In wow. This, in, this, in this bowl. Interesting. Um, you know, the... The Cricket Celebration Bowl, right? It's, uh, you know, we talked about HBCUs a little bit earlier, but uh, Jackson State is playing against South Carolina State. Um, you know, I, I, you know, got you got you got to pick Jackson State here because, like, yes, well, Sanders, I mean, you 100% well, Atlanta. You the flip side is to everything I was saying about how, you know, it'll be great to get to a point where the HBCUs – um, are bringing in top talent. Right now, one HBCU is bringing in top talent and the others are not. And uh, Jackson State, I mean, they signed what for uh, an HBCU, 
U school last year was a ridiculous recruiting class. Um, to say nothing for the class they have, they have five ESPN 300 recruits coming in this season, including the number two recruit in the nation to an HBCU FCS school. So again, it's like with all due credit, you know, with all due respect to Dion's coaching acumen, like Jackson State is whatever they are, like eleven and one because they have a massive talent advantage, and I expect that's going to hold here. And really, that that's what Dion brings more than his coaching. It's his recruiting. I mean, he is Dion Sanders. He rolls in and said, I'm Dion Sanders, and people <laughs> just are lining up to, to play for him. Well, and, like, I, if you, like, I'm going to dig into the schedule here a little bit. Like, so you mentioned Jackson State's 11-1. and one. South Carolina State is 6-5. and five. They both played Florida A&M um, and – Jackson State won by one point. South Carolina State got smoked. Uh, beyond that, there's not a lot of similarities here. Um, I guess uh, AAMU, I don't know what AAMU is. Alabama Alabama A&M was another one where Jackson State blew them out and um, South Carolina State lost. So, Yeah, the other, and the other thing is Dion, on top of everything else, uh, has – the bloodlines so he has one son at the school already who is a big recruit and he's going to be adding another son this coming year who's also a big recruit so um yeah we're all i'd say this one's going to be pretty academic uh 115 on espn the pubg mobile new mexico bowl um in albuquerque you got utep and fresno state fresno currently at 11 and a half point favorite um you know fresno's got a new coach uh i think Kalen DeBoer is has already left for Washington yes um, and, and the new coach is Jeff Tedford new new slash old coach right right yes. I think um, yeah but Jake Hayner their quarterback entered the transfer portal presumably to go to Washington uh with DeBoer but when Tedford was hired he's like wait I I, I like Tedford I'm, I'm gonna stick around here um so I, I would assume he's gonna play because he never actually left Un- unconfirmed if he's going to play or not, but like you kind of got to figure he is. Yeah. Th- yeah. I mean, this one to me is like, there's a reason that DeBoer got hired at Washington. I mean, this Fresno state team was really good. They lost to Oregon by seven at Oregon and then they beat UCLA. Um, and again, UCLA had a good enough season that, you know, Chip Kelly was getting looked at at Oregon. Right. So, um, they beat San Diego State, who was also ranked. I mean, they they lost they lost at Hawaii by three, but you know you factor in you know the old trip out to Hawaii, and they lost big to Boise, but they beat everybody else and kicked the crap out of a lot of the teams on their schedule. And again, played two um, Pac-12 teams, two good Pac-12 teams, really tight, and won one and lost one. So yeah, I think. With their quarterback coming back, even with a new coach, I think Fresno State's just got the big advantage here. For for the record, I don't think Tedford is coaching the bowl game. I think no, that, no. like I have Lee Marks, um, the running backs coach, who's going to be interim. But like, you you got to think that like they're going to play Hainer. I mean, like like punishing him and not playing him would be kind of weird, in my opinion. But Marks has said like all three quarterbacks are on the death chart and you won't know who plays until kickoff. So, you know, we got a little, we got a little fitzy in action. Ooh, got got to play yeah. cloak and dagger on a bowl yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. Whatever. Uh, two thirty on ABC. You've got the radiance technologies independence bowl, uh, UAB and BYU. 
Uh, BYU only a seven-point favorite here. That seems low to me. BYU is coming in ranked 13. And sure, it's a you know further trip for BYU than you know, Birmingham. But come on. R- really? Sam, I just love how seriously you read these sponsors. I like. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're doing a pretty good job. I was gonna say the uh, UAB is is interesting. They're, I mean, because they're you look and they're like on the face, they're not a particularly. I mean, they got obliterated by Georgia. Whatever. Welcome to the club. Everyone did. But yeah, um, they got obliterated by Liberty also, um, and then they lost to Rice, which again, that's rough. But. Their only other loss was at barely to a UTSA a UTSA team that we didn't even mention. Payne Abair is is now a member of right. Um, he's transferring there, and you know we highlighted on Twitter that you know that's a that's a big transfer because UTSA is a really good football team. So UAB played them really tight, so that's big. But it's still hard to think that unless there's something we don't know about that BYU doesn't have them outclassed in this game completely. Like I. I, I mean, well, the, that, to your they, point they, about the seven points, that seems low. Well, and they're always senior laden. They're a mature team. Uh, Kalani Sataki was, you know, a, a guy that has been there for a few years, gets talked about on the coaching carousel, hasn't left, stayed there. They've got the stability going. Like, this this feels like a good, you know, a, a jumping off point for BYU. I think they're joining the Big 12 next year? Maybe not next year. Maybe it's a couple Soon. years away. But I mean, I, yeah. like, that's not clear. I mean, so, like, it, it – like I I say that because I would I would think that you know BYU wants to show out right they want they want to show that that they're not you know uh, an also ran coming into the Big Twelve like like Texas going to the SEC. Four forty five on ESPN. You got the Lending Tree Bowl um, in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Eastern Michigan and Liberty. Liberty a nine and a half point favorite. Do we know Do we know if Malik Willis is playing? I mean that that's the biggest question. I mean Willis is you know what, probably one of the top quarterbacks. I know it in the draft, it's not the the best draft for quarterbacks, but you know there's a lot of people think he's a first round quarterback. Does he play in this I, game? I've googled this like 17 times in the last four days, and and signs are pointing to yes. The expectation is he's going to play, and that makes this to me an, another like pretty big mismatch in everybody's sure. favor. I mean. So here's the thing. This is a massive mismatch, even if he doesn't play, and I can't believe he's playing in this game. Um, credit to Eastern Michigan, because a lot of you might be like, wait, Eastern Michigan's playing in a bowl game this year? Yeah, amazingly, Eastern Michigan is 7-5. and five. To get to 7-5, and five, they had to beat Miami of Ohio 13-12, to 12, beat Toledo 52-49, to 49, and beat Western Michigan 22-21. to 21. So to say they, you know, smoked it. Now, their, with that said, probably their best result is they only lost to NIU by seven, which is, you know, pretty impressive. Um, but they are not a good football team that somehow is playing in a bowl game. So, I, I mean, at the same time, like, Liberty got, like, beat pretty bad their last three games. Now, one of those was against Army. One was against Louisiana. And one was against uh, Ole Miss. So, Here we go. Like, and again, it's like... Sunbelt, kind of ridiculous, right? But, uh, but yeah, so Liberty's but, not I mean, Sunbelt, regardless. they're yeah. independent. Oh, they're an independent, that's right. Um, the uh, but they're not Sunbelt yet. I, 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 with this latest uh, re- remix of conferences, I, I, 
I don't remember off the top of my head if they joined a conference. I think they might have joined this on belt, but they're still an independent right now. Yeah, I expect uh, I expect Liberty to to take a win and and not take a fat L because not everything can be field hockey. Six <laughs> thirty <laughs> uh, on ABC, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stiffle Stifle. I don't even know. Um, Utah State and Oregon Jimmy State. Jimmy Kimmel has a bowl game. Can oh, we yeah. just pause? Yeah. yeah. The yeah. fact that Jimmy Kimmel has a bowl game. It's amazing. And as and I like, recall, it, it's, it's, the, it's, it, the, it's the Mountain West champion, Utah State Aggies was, against Oregon State. Can, can, I, can I go like way back machine here? Sure. Was the man show even a thing when we were in college? Or was that like post-college? It was, a, it was around It was that, right around there. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, there were. If you don't know what we're talking about, like go back and watch Jimmy, some clips if, if of, you, yeah. of Jimmy Kimmel circa or, the year or, 2000. Or Jimmy Kimmel would appreciate that you did it, but <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, think that holds tra- up very well. But the transformation is stunning. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's this one is continually fascinating to me because we, you know, we kind of mentioned this. I feel like a few pods back, but at the beginning of the year. Uh, Purdue played Oregon State, and we were kind of like, well, Purdue's, you know, this is a must win for them. They got to get a chance here if they're going to pick up, you know, a non-conference win against an Oregon State team that is probably really bad. And then Purdue pulled it out 30-21, to and at the time we didn't know really what, if anything, Purdue was going to be. And we were like, well, good for you, Purdue. You got that win. And, you know, Oregon State ended up being a bowl team, and Purdue, as we all know, ended up being a pretty darn good football team. So it's kind of funny that that game at the start of the season ended up being, a, you know, in hindsight, a pretty strong matchup. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, regardless of Mountain West, I mean, I you know, this for Oregon State team, I think this one's pretty good. But this does feel, what did you say the line on this one was? Um, it is currently Oregon State by a touchdown. Okay, wow. So, yeah, I mean, again, it feels like it's probably going to be a pretty strong game. But it's... Uh, well, well, a lot of people are looking at Utah State pasting San Diego state in the Mac or in the mountain West championship game. Right. Kind of unexpectedly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but San Diego state was dealing with a pretty big COVID outbreak, I think. Um, and a lot of players who were, who were in protocol. So I like, I like, I mean, I, I would, I would take that result with a game with a grain of salt and focus on the rest of the ledger, which like pretty strongly in Oregon state's favor. Right. And I mean, heck Oregon state wins this game. They won eight games this year for Oregon state. Who's been on really tough times. That's a major season for them. So yeah, I I expect them to win. Then the final game on Saturday, that's seven games on Saturday, guys. Like talk about sitting back and just gorging on college football. Uh, The RNL carriers, new Orleans bowl, uh, Louisiana and Marshall. And that is at the Superdome in new Orleans. I mean, I feel like the Raging Cajuns always play in this game, and I feel like they always win. Yeah, I mean, they're they're only a sorry. five point favorite against Marshall here, but like, I mean, sorry, Marshall. Like Louisiana played Texas and lost the first week of the season, which again, not a win that, not a loss that has gained luster as the season has gone on. But uh, they ain't lost since then. There. Now, now B- Billy Napier is leaving. He's to go gone. Be head yeah, coach right, at Florida. Right. Um, but Michael Desormio. Desormeau, I don't, I can't Desormo. pronounce uh, Cajun shit. Desormo, um, yeah, he's taking over. He's been in the program. Like this should be kind of like 
like not a, no, not a big adjustment. Yeah, n- n- no shifting of gears here. And the w- the way Napier left was like about as well as you could expect like there was about as good as you can get like he was very straightforward with the with the guys there was no like you know sitting in someone's living room eating ribs while your agent is uh negotiating a deal for you um brian kelly uh but the you know the way he left seemed really up and up and like the the replacement was already there in, in the program so um I, I don't think their coaching change is going to be a factor, uh, whereas in other other situations it very well could be. And speaking of coaching changes, right, Marshall lost their defensive coordinator uh, from last year to go be Purdue's defensive coordinator, which was a big win for Purdue and a big loss for Marshall, who did not have the same level of defense this year. Western Kentucky pasted them in their last game, scored over 50 points, and uh, I think they're going to have a real tough time with Louisiana. Uh, moving to Monday afternoon, 1.30 p.m., um, the Myrtle Beach Bowl at uh, Brooks Stadium. Is that uh, is that the teal turf of uh, Coastal Carolina? It, uh, there cannot be more than one stadium in Myrtle Beach that can handle <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, that is Conway that, that, yeah. is, is Coastal. Confirmed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Old Dominion and Tulsa. Uh, um, this is cur- like a currently giant... the Jeremy Mazur versus Derek Gragg Bowl, I think is what yeah. we're looking at here. Uh, Tulsa's a I... nine and a half point favorite right now. G- giant shrug emoji for me. Pretty I, much. Like, like, I I know nothing. I, I mean, I guess. Tulsa plays it's... defense, I guess. And I Old Dominion, I don't, I just don't know. I mean, their, their turf is teal. This one is probably right up at the top for me on, you know, Aside from the game, I would love to follow these two teams around Myrtle Beach and just see what what happens. Just see the tomfoolery that occurs, um, which is just a, another way of like stepping back and being like, Coastal Carolina, those kids literally go to college in Myrtle Beach. Like I can't like I just wrap your head around. It's like where everyone else goes to get trashed on spring break, they go to college, which is just unbelievable to me. <laughs> but it's like so there but again kind of like uh, florida gulf coast where like all the dorms are literally on the beach ex- exactly exactly so again but aside from that i don't know i i expect that old dominion will suffer under the the departure of jeremy mazer even though that was a long long time ago that, <laughs> that's all i got for you moving to tuesday uh december 21st 2 30 uh we've got the famous idaho potato bowl in boise kent state and wyoming wyoming a three-point favorite here I think it's wild that combined these two teams are 13 and 12 overall. Uh, and and yet Kent State won the MAC East, which is which is just wild. Um I think the West was the seat of power in the MAC this year. Um but uh yeah, that is that this is one of these ones that has every team with every eligible team got to play in a bowl this year just written all over it. Um, and D- Dust- Dustin Crum, great name, by the way, uh, quarterback for Kent State, was the MAC Player of the Year. Um, now NIU, you know, shut him down in the MAC Championship, but um, you know whether or not Wyoming can do the same, I think is is a big question. So um, 
it, it's going to be tough to watch uh, simply because of the blue turf of uh, Boise and the brown and gold of Wyoming is just, you know, pain for your eyes. And it's just not a good color combo. And then put that uh, the, on the blue turf. Qu- quite a palette. The quite a juxt- palette in the potato bowl. The juxtaposition between this bowl and the bowl immediately after it could not be any more extreme. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're going from one of the very worst to, honestly, one of the best in the whole bowl season. I, I could not agree with you more. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl, uh, 630 on ESPN, UTSA and San Diego State. Um, UTSA, just what a, what a season for UTSA. It's just for, first so of all, cool. These two teams combined are 23-3. and three. So there's that part of it, too. They're both awesome football teams. Um, and, and, and beyond the records in terms of, of all the bowls, every single one in terms of I'm channel surfing, I see, oh, this game's on. I have to watch until this guy plays. Is there anybody above Matt Ariza? I don't know that there is. He may be the greatest punter in college football ever. He may be. He may end up being one of the greatest punters in the NFL ever. Um, he's out there uncorking seventy and eighty yard punts, and I think this will be that opportunity, right on on national television or at least on ESPN, for everybody who hasn't had a chance to see him yet to finally get to watch him. San Diego State's and, and, offense is not you know something to write home about, so we fair chance we'll get to see your eyes go, you know, more than once. Whereas UTSA averages 37.8 points per game. Um, and also, like, I, if, if anybody watched the, the, the videos of um, UTSA announcing Jeff Trailer's extension and sticking with the team and just the player reaction there, I mean, it's it's akin to the reaction you got from the players with Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame. I mean, they, they love playing for this dude. I think they're going to be fired up for this game. The big question to me, like, so San Diego State's offense, not, you know, incredible. Yes, they have the punter. UTSA, I don't know if it matters if they start at the 10 or the 30. I think, like, right. they, they can drive the field. But um, does San Diego State care? I mean, like, they should have, you know, had a much better showing in the Mountain West Championship game. They should have had a real shot at winning that championship game, going to a better bowl. I, like, I can't help but feel this feels like a letdown for them coming off of what was um, – a, a COVID outbreak that they were dealing with leading up to that championship game. So I like, that's one of those like bowl season. You're always trying to like peg the motivation of different teams and how excited they are, et cetera. Like eventually we get to Miami going to the sun bowl and whew, look out, <laughs> folks. Um, so I like that's, that's, that's where my head's at right now. And the other thing too, is like UTSA has got sweet unis, a pretty nice campus. They play in the Alamo dome and they're in Texas. And winning it's not thir- not that far of a drive from San Antonio to Dallas. Yeah, and winning thirteen games in a season is a heck of a thing. You know, like it's like UTSA may be on their way up just as a program in general, and um, this this will be a big part let, of that. Let, let let's remember also that um, as good as he's been this year, and as good as he was in his first stint there, San Diego State's coach is Brady Hoke. <laughs> <laughs> True. En- enough said, right? What, you don't think they'd hire him back at Michigan right now? You really don't think? 
Wednesday, December 22nd, uh, only one game, 7 o'clock. Uh, we got Wednesday, the- Wednesday, Wednesday. Missouri against Army at the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl at uh, the TCU Stadium in Fort Worth. Army, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 58. That seems really high for a game involving Army. I'm just like, Missouri, congratulations. You managed to scrap and claw your way to 6-6 six and six of the SEC and qualify for a bowl. Now you have to spend a month prepping for the option. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> and the and Missouri's run defense was awful this year. Yeah. Oofta. At various times, they were shredded. Hen- hence why Army's favored, right? But only by three and a half. I don't understand that. Well, and, and Army just inexplicably lost to Navy. It's, yeah. It was horrible all year that they should have pounded. Right. Yeah, that one's kind of stings. So the uh, yeah, but I mean, still they were a pretty good football game, and and you know after being really rough for a while, Army is has been pretty good. So yeah, I I think to me that three seems safe, if not higher. Uh, moving to Thursday, uh, December twenty third, you've got at two thirty p.m. The brand new invented bowl, um, the Frisco Football <laughs> Classic, a game that they were like, "Oh, we're one, we're, we have one too many teams. Let's make up a bowl." Uh, so new, it doesn't even have like a title sponsor or anything. Um, North Texas and Miami, Ohio, a couple six and six squads getting together at Toyota Stadium in Frisco. Uh, Miami, Ohio, I mean, a three point favorite. It, is this Fris- is this North Texas's home stadium? No. Okay, it's it's pretty that, close. It's though. a soccer stadium, where oh, gotcha, oh that's gotcha. cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's and I think that's where but they play the I mean, uh, the D two championships. Like a, a lot goes on there. You see it pop it's up. It's like a fifteen minute drive though. Is that where? Wait, is that where FC Dallas plays? Yes. So so kind of subtext to that, right? Is um, is that stadium on one of the stadiums? You know that we think that maybe the that we wonder if you know powers that be from Northwestern are checking out to look and see, you know, potential plans for a future Northwestern stadium. I know I'm not sure if that's one, or I guess FC Austin is one of the newer ones, right? I don't know how yeah. old Frisco is. So maybe uh, I'm it, thinking of the wrong one. That stadium has been there for at least seven or eight years. Yeah. I mean, so I guess I'm, I guess I'm thinking of the wrong one. Um, I just want everyone to, to, uh, to try, try, try 16 years. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah so at least seven or eight. Yeah, so it's one of. The, <laughs> I did so, couch that. So it's one of the. Uh, it's one of the old. Yeah, you couch that just like Adrian Martinez is going to go play for the Purple Wildcats, Sammy. <laughs> Can't believe I'm only just bringing that now. That Sam. I don't understand why this these bowls are happening at at that stadium as opposed to. Um, Apogee in Denton, which which is not far away and holds like. An additional ten thousand people. I don't know. That's that's hmm. interesting to me. Maybe it's well, maybe it's nicer maybe. facilities, etc. Well, maybe they're looking to try to sell out as much as they can and have less empty stadiums. I just want to point out, Miami of Ohio is favored in a bowl game, and they lost to Ohio. So, I just for all you Northwestern fans, just kind of factor that in. Um, and then six o'clock on ESPN, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. UCF in Florida, um, and that's at uh, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. So, um, yeah, Florida. Florida's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, 
I think the big thing we all care about here, right, is let's see some Isaiah Bowser, right? I hope he's hope he's healthy. Hope he's had time to, you know, as as unfortunately his career has often gone. He's been, you know, banged up at various times this season, but he still had real moments of of shining for them. I think he was their number two leading rusher had uh, 548 yards, seven touchdowns, was their leading touchdown guy on the ground. And uh, this is his last go-round. Hopefully he'll get his, you know, one final shot. He gets to play in a bowl game as, uh, you know, as a senior, as a grad transfer, which is awesome. So mainly I'm just just rooting for him. I have no idea who's going to be quarterback for either of these teams. Emory Jones uh, for Florida just announced he's hitting the portal uh, just a couple hours ago. And uh, Dylan Gabriel uh, for UCF is out as well. So you got a couple backup quarterbacks uh, coming in. You've got Florida with, you know, all sorts of interim coaches. And do they care? Like they were 60 this year. They probably do not care. They want to get the Billy Napier era started as quickly as possible. So I mean, Emory Jones has says has said that he plans to play in the bowl game, but there's just, there's so many potential opt outs like Florida, right there. I mean, like their advantage in this game is that their roster is littered with NFL guys, but how many of those NFL guys bail on the game? Um, how many like really care? It, what is interesting is this is like an in, an in, 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 interstate, intrastate. I always struggle with this. Um, like not rivalry, but like these teams. They're pretty close to each other. Like they're really close to one another. UCF has been chirping nonstop, right, for several years now. And, um, but they've not played and now they're, they're going to face off in Tampa, um, which, like, like UCF has a massive, a massive fan base, which I think is really going to show up. Um, but at the same time, like, the, like players that play for Florida that have, like, real Gator pride, like, they, like, they could, they could be fired up and chomping at the bit at this game just because of some of the talk that's been, that's been going back and forth between the two schools. So, I, like, this is another one that's just real hard to peg the motivations, um, and and you could argue, you could talk yourself into either side of it. Yeah. If UCF doesn't have a quarterback, I demand Zay Bowser Wildcat all game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two more to to cover before we call it a night tonight. Uh, Christmas Eve, seven o'clock on ESPN. Memphis and Hawaii play in the Hawaii Bowl, uh, the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Um, and that is at um, the Aloha Stadium uh, is like structurally unsafe. So uh, Hawaii oh, is playing at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Um, basically, it's like their track field. Uh, so are there stands for that? I'm like, there what about- are, but not many, I don't believe. I mean, Sam, you and I have experienced first home, firsthand the home cooking that is uh, – playing Hawaii at, at their, you know, like on the islands where the refs all live in Hawaii. Um, at the same time, like the head coach of Hawaii is Todd Graham, who has had like a checkered pass at a variety of different institutions. And there's, there's word out that just like that the Hawaii program is in, is in tatters internally. At the same time, they have some really incredible defensive players. Um, and that like, like on paper, they should, destroy memphis in my opinion but um this is another like there's weird stuff in the background that you just can't quite peg yeah, home, just, home game for hawaii and that's a long way to fly for memphis 
I just want to know how come our winning cures everything boys, Gary and Chris, are not going out to Hawaii to watch the Memphis Tigers play in this game. Come on, Gary. What's going on, man? <laughs> uh, Memphis is a seven-point favorite in this one. So, uh, And then finally for tonight, uh, Christmas Day, you've got the Tax Act Camellia Bowl, Georgia State and Ball State in Montgomery, Alabama. Georgia State, a four-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. Tax Act is sponsoring multiple bowls? Uh, apparently. Because they have the Texas Bowl uh, on, what, January something or other. Yeah. Get your taxes done. I don't know. Yeah, the te- on January 4th, the, 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 the Tax Act Texas Bowl. That's interesting. I don't think the Tax Act is about getting your taxes done, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> You know, whatever tax, if no, they, tax if act they, is absolutely some sort of tax software right if you if look if they don't want us to speculate randomly about what they do they shouldn't sponsor multiple bowl games that's all it, I'm it, say. it is 100 percent a tax software company I'm, I'm looking at it right now oh yeah you're the official tax filing solution um oh but i clicked on the link and i got a 404 uh-oh <laughs> this is the breaking news <laughs> oh there are so many is, jokes to be had right this there is the, this is the hard-hitting analysis that all of our fans come to this pod for well um, they, they spent all their money sponsoring two bowls so now their website is down <laughs> well I th- to be fair i think it was a it was an article written about about uh about them but i can't even i can't even find there we go let's see tax act yes file taxes online yada yada see what sets it apart yeah yeah i mean so you're right you're right sammy you're right tax act sounded like legislation and i was like what is happening well (laughs) these two teams so again it's like part of the reason for this like filibuster is like i mean this is this is not yeah. There's, there's not much there's else. There's not much about. here. I mean, Georgia State kind of played Auburn close this season. They lost close to Louisiana. I guess you make me pick. I'm going to pick Georgia State um, up against yet another 500 MAC team, which is hilarious that they all got to play bowls this year. So yeah, that, that the, that's all I got. This is where Clay Helton ended up, right? Oh wow, that's right. And like he, in in the middle of the season, like I, he's coaching there right now, isn't he? Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's just just so wild to think about that from USC to Georgia State. I mean, that's that is that's amazing. No, no, no. He's he's at Georgia Southern. Oh, Georgia, oh, Southern. Georgia Southern. Okay, Southern. never mind. Right. Never mind. How dare you? I'm How sorry you? to to besmirch the I'm sorry Georgia to, Southern Georgia State. I, I was gonna say sorry to insult all the Georgia State Georgia Southern fans who are listening at this point in a Northwestern podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if you are, cheers. Yeah, thanks, th- yeah thanks. Thanks for th- coming. Th- thanks for coming. Yep. All right, so that's all the bowl games we're going to cover tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a little pre-Christmas uh, preview of kind of the back half of bowl season as we get into uh, more of the bigger bowls. Uh, still some you know smaller ones out there, but uh, we're getting into more Power 5 stuff uh, coming up next week. Uh, once again, our uh, ESPN Westlaw Pirates uh, challenge. Uh, find all the links to that at westlawpirates.com or on our Twitter feed. Um, the password is Spivik. Uh, you can even go to ESPN Capital One Bowl Mania and search Westlot Pirates Challenge. Uh, you can find it there. So uh, come and join us. It's going to be uh, 
going to be big fun. Anything else uh, to mention before we go? I'll mention one thing really quickly. Um, this is something we tweeted about today, and we randomly discovered this. I guess you could fold this into the recruiting front. This is a recruit Northwestern has not signed yet, and if, if they do, it would probably be as a preferred walk-on grad transfer. Um, they may, they may not. We just really, really want it to happen. Um, there is a kicker in the transfer portal, a grad kicker transfer named Matt Ganyard. And Matt Ganyard is someone who followed us on Twitter. And every now and then we kind of go back through our Twitter feed and learn everything else. And there are a couple things about Matt Ganyard. So he, he comes from Northwestern bloodlines, right? His, his parents are both Northwestern alums. But what jumps out is um, he went undergrad at the University of Virginia and then spent 10 years flying attack helicopters. And he is now retired from the service and retired from flying attack helicopters and now has one year of grad transfer eligibility to kick and is a legit college-level kicker. Um, But Northwestern, first of all, as far as we know, we only have one kicker, Jack Olson, on the roster right now, so we are thin at that position. Um, Fitz is no stranger to bringing in former servicemen, Tom Ruby being the most prominent example, to be members of the football team. Um, Ganyard is a, you know, at least according to Chris Saylor kicking, a pretty legit kicking prospect. And he flew attack helicopters for a decade. Like, who doesn't want this guy on Northwestern? So, come on, Fitz. Let's make this happen. Uh, let, let's get this guy into grad school at Northwestern so he can come kick for the Cats. Amen to that. Oh, well, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates. Email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw Brian Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.